Good morning, Grace. It's good to worship with you this morning. Nothing reveals the heart like worship and what we worship and the way we worship. But another way that reveals the heart is one of these. How many of you know what this is? This is the famous inkblot test. There's a sense in which what we've been singing and saying and praising might be a kind of inkblot test for our, for our hearts, right? And we might all look at that and come up with different answers, right? Some of you see a butterfly or a, I don't know, some kind of monster or looks like my aunt, okay? <laughs> Let me give you another one. Let's see. Now, this one looks kind of symmetrical, right? It's nice and crisp, and it's, it's, you know, there's something to that. But let's, let's look at something that looks a little more all over the place. Might, might at first appear inscrutable. Might look random. Now, if you've seen this before, don't be the smarty pants that says, oh, that's, I know what that is. I've seen this. How many of you are stumped? You're like, I don't see anything. I see a bunch of watches. Okay, cool. Unlike the other one, this one is actually not at all random. This is a photo of a cow. How many of you now see the cow after I said the word cow? How many of you still do not see the cow? Let me help you see the cow. Yeah, it's looking right at us. You see, oh, all right. Let's do one more. Also might look random, but it's not. How many of you see Jesus? Yes. Now, if you don't see Jesus, that's okay. I would rather you see Jesus and come face to face with him in this text we're about to read and talk about together. Um, We're preaching through Luke's gospel, good news of great joy to all people. I shouldn't leave this up. You're gonna be staring at this the whole time. I wish I, I don't have a pointer. I usually have a clicker with my thing, but he's looking right at us, okay? I'll just get it, get it out of the way here. Actually, if we could mute it, that would be awesome, thanks. So we've been, we've been preaching through Luke's gospel, and um, the passage we have this morning reminds me of a sermon that Randy preached a while back from Luke 18, where he pointed out that our framework will determine what we can see. And sometimes our framework can blind us to what is most obviously in our face, what's most obviously there. Sometimes we only see what our expectations will allow us to see. And we've seen through Luke's gospel that time and time again we've got religious leaders who refuse to see and recognize their Messiah because they suffer from spiritual blindness. And Jesus didn't fulfill their expectations of what Messiah ought to be. 
So here in Luke 24, the last chapter, we're going to see a similar kind of blindness and a similarly unsatisfied expectation in these two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And the difference is these, these are two guys who believe Jesus, or should we say believed, until Jesus fully reveals himself to them. And so what this account is going to remind us of, it's what it's gonna show us, is that Jesus first, before he reveals himself bodily, physically, his identity, he must first correct these men's view of the scriptures so that they can see him in the flesh for who he really is. So let's read our passage together. It's a bit of a long one, but let's start in uh, verse 13 in chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. By the way, seven miles, if you can't visualize it, if you were to start walking after service from here and go straight down Imperial Highway past the 57 to Lucille's Barbecue, you will have almost walked seven miles. Might as well call it seven. While they were talking, they were discussing with each other all the things that had happened, and while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he would, was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, this is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, and they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Let's pray. Father, there is so much in this passage for us to see. There is so much of Jesus to see we have such limited time, I pray that you would bless your word, that you would work in every individual heart here. Lord, direct each heart to what you want them to see regarding your son, Jesus. I pray that you would show us Christ this morning. In his name we pray, amen. So, there's a lot in here, uh, but... What are some things that we can see in this story that might be of encouragement in the various places we are? I want to suggest maybe four things. Oh, oh, there we go. Great. So if you're a note taker, this is fine. We'll leave them up here for a little bit. But, um, but these, are, these are, I think, four things that are, that are here that, that will offer encouragement at, at, in various ways. Number one, Jesus is the final authority on the significance of his life, death, and resurrection. Number two, Christ Jesus directs us to the scriptures, and the scriptures direct us to Jesus. Number three, Jesus' finished work exceeds our expectations. And number four, this isn't just academic. This changes everything, and we've got to go and share this. So let's look at some of these ideas and see what this revelation has to say to us. First, Jesus is the final authority on the significance of his own life, death, and resurrection. A lot of people have a lot of opinions on the Bible. I run into all kinds of different theories, opinions, levels of belief, disbelief. There are a lot of opinions on the Bible. There are a lot of biblical interpreters. But Luke is writing this passage, I think, to remind us that nobody can Bible like Jesus. He knew his Bible better than anyone, and his interpretation is the one that matters. As Randy said in that sermon that I, uh, from Luke 18, Jesus is God's final word about God's finished work. See, because usually when people die, they don't get to say what was significant about their life, right? That's for the history books, as they say. What if you rise from the dead? The irony of this story is terrific. They literally stop walking. This question is so out of pocket. Are you kidding? You're the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days, and in fact, Jesus is the only visitor to Jerusalem who does know all of the things that happened. (laughs) And we're going, oh boy, (laughs) this is great. And he's playing this naive interloper. I I, I picture him, if it was today, he'd have a hoodie. You know, he just kind of, you know, hey, what's, what's going on, you know? great. 
But he, he plays, you know, kind of naive and stupid here so that he can, he can get in and, and open their minds to the scripture so that he can hear from them, assess the conditions of their hearts. And that's why he rebukes them in verse 25 for their foolishness and their slowness of heart. Because remember, Jesus has been calling his shot all through the gospel of Luke. Luke 18, 31 through 34, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and sped upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. Now, it's easy for us now to sort of hover above this story and shake our heads and think, oh yes, yes, oh yes, how foolish. Mm -hmm. How slow for them to believe. And that's because we have Luke's gospel in front of us. It's because Luke wrote this down. And it's because of this Emmaus Road encounter and encounters like it. It's because of gospels like Matthew and the rest of the New Testament. Yes, this is Jesus, the living word. And yes, he is about to uncloak and disclose himself. But first, he needs to reveal his identity in the scriptures. So Jesus directs us to the scriptures, and the scriptures direct us to Jesus. And says it's starting with Moses and all of the prophets. So he walks them through the Old Testament. By the way, a seven mile walk is on average about two and a half hours, which coincidentally is about the out loud reading time for the Gospel of Luke, or Matthew, or twice through Hebrews. I'm not suggesting a grace group outing, but I'm just saying that would be glorious. But he takes them back to the word that he himself inspired, that predicted his messiahship, that made over 325 predictions that came true and which he has now fulfilled. Back in June, Fred uh, preached a great sermon and he, he actually fast-forwarded a little bit. He kind of teased us with this passage and I, I love what he had to say about it. So I'm just gonna read what he said. He says, according to Jesus, the Old Testament comprehensively is about him. And that means that understanding the Jesus of the Old Testament is so important for his followers, including us, that even when he is right there with them in the power of the resurrection, he invests his time in a biblical theology workshop. And it makes sense, doesn't it, for us? Because Jesus is about to build his church and millions downstream from this encounter will not have the privilege, this side of heaven, of seeing him in his risen flesh like these two disciples got to see. So if the disciples on the Emmaus Road needed the scriptures first to see who Jesus really was, how much more do we? 
I'm reminded of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The end of that story, of course, the rich man is in, is in torment and he wants Abraham to go back and, and warn his brothers and Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if someone raises from the dead. So Jesus is actually modeling for these disciples and to us what it means not just to know the scriptures, but to be confident in them, to hold fast to them, even in our darkest hour. Now you might say, okay, with the Old Testament, it's hard. Um, I can recommend to you guys, there is this great multi-volume Old Testament commentary um, and if you're taking notes, I'll, I'll give you the title. Um, it's called The New Testament. <laughs> 27 books. And they all have something to do with Jesus. And notice how much of the New Testament actually is about how the Old Testament was about Jesus. So the Emmaus Road, I know we think, oh, if we only knew what was said on the Emmaus Road. No, it's not like it's some lost Gnostic gospel. Like if we could just track down this Cleopas chap, we could get the real inside scoop, right? The director's cut, the extended bonus edition. We know what was taught in the road to Emmaus because we have his teaching. If you fast forward, I don't want to steal thunder, but if you fast forward to verses 44 and 48, when he appears to the other disciples, he's going to give the same lesson to them too. Let's remember the purpose of Luke's gospel. Beginning of the book, undertaken to compile a narrative of these things that have been accomplished among us, et cetera. Look at the last line. Most excellent Theophilus, I want to write an orderly account that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Jesus not only gives us confidence in the Old Testament, he actually is about to commission the New Testament, as it were, through his instruction. Because look what happens next in Luke's second book, the book of Acts, as the early church gets going. We've got uh, Peter preaching his first sermon at Pentecost, and he goes straight to the prophet Joel and Psalm 110. Acts 7, Stephen runs through the the entire Old Testament to rebuke the teachers of the law. Acts 9, 19 through 22, just a few days after Damascus, right? This is Saul who was persecuting the church and he has an encounter with the risen Savior. He spends a few days with the disciples and then what does he start doing? He starts arguing that Jesus is the Messiah proving through the scriptures and he baffled them. Do you see this transfer? Do we see it at work? And Paul's gonna go on to write most of the the majority of the rest of the New Testament. He's gonna write Romans where he connects the dots for us. Christ is the second Adam. He's gonna write Galatians, where he talks about the seed of of Abraham. We're gonna see the book of Hebrews. The whole point of Hebrews is that Jesus is a better sacrifice. It's part of the new covenant that fulfills all of the old. 
As it says in Hebrews 1, 2, 1, 1 and 2, long ago and at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heirs of all things through whom he also created the world. And then there's Jude 3, I felt compelled, Jude, a brother of Jesus, a in the flesh brother of Jesus, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that the Lord has once for all entrusted us. I was just totally struck by that little phrase, once and for all. We often think of Jesus as the once and for all sacrifice, right, that atoned for the sins of the world, as it says in Hebrews, but Jude extends this idea of once and for all, not just to the work of the gospel, but to the word of the gospel. It doesn't change. It doesn't evolve because it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to stay relevant. It is relevant to every human who has ever lived because we all have the same problem. We are all separated from a holy, righteous God who is our creator to whom we owe all allegiance. And Jesus steps into the gap and he restores that relationship. As it says in Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I read one commentator who pointed out that there are more allusions to the Old Testament in Revelation than any other book in the New Testament. And Revelation is a book of hope. And we've been singing about the hope and the joy of Christ's resurrection. We see him here on the Damascus Road and we're excited, but these disciples are not quite there yet. But look at how Jesus exceeds their expectations. They don't understand. And not only are they confused by the chaos of all these events, look how deeply disappointed they are. They are disappointed in Jesus. We had hoped. They wanted to believe that he was more than just a prophet, mighty in word and deed. And the language that they use here of Israel's redemption probably means that just a week ago today, they were waving palm branches going, Hosanna, save now, as he rode into Jerusalem. No doubt they pictured the Messiah as the conquering king who would sit on David's throne and overthrow the Romans already. They did not expect the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who had to first suffer all of these things before entering into his glory. And to add insult to injury, Jesus doesn't say, oh, wow, that's hard, yeah. He rebukes them for their unbelief. He's disappointed in them as they are in him. And just, oh, foolish ones. I don't know how, I don't know what his tone was. I would like to think it was gentle because Jesus is gentle, but it's still a rebuke. Foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. These are men of faith, but their faith is flickering. It's just about done. They did all the things and he's dead, he's gone, and now there's some weird, crazy stories flying around. 
Let's pause and, and just think about where we all are here. I know so many of you are struggling in your own lives with we had hoped. You've come here this morning with your own list of we had hoped. When life gets busy and chaotic, even for people of faith, some of you might have, you've been in the church your whole life and maybe, maybe, maybe you'd hoped better things for the church, for this bride of Christ, allegedly. Maybe you've got one foot out the door. You're, you're questioning whether you believe this stuff or not. Maybe you carry other burdens. Jesus is gently reminding us when life falls short of our expectations, dear friends, don't, don't be foolish and slow of heart to believe the things that God has said in his word. He has come near to us. The word is near to us, and that means Jesus is near to us. He's come near to you. So this is it. We can stop waiting to get a better offer on life. We're not going to get one. The one that's in front of us, Jesus, the living word who speaks today, is the one we need. So we need to quit waiting for the new thing, right? For the next new thing, the next new philosophy, or political movement, or candidate, or guru the next new technology or medical breakthrough or good news or insight into the human brain, the newest life hack or product or relationship if we just keep scrolling down enough. It's not going to come. These things that are temporary will not give our lives ultimate meaning and purpose only if Jesus rose from the dead and only if we recognize that that is what unites us to the story that God has been telling all through human history can we have that meaning and purpose. So maybe take a moment to consider what's, what did you bring this morning? What did you bring as we had hoped? I have my list. Maybe you've got lots of things on your mind as well. We'd hope to be a little more stable financially. We'd hope to be in better health. We'd hope to have a better marriage. We'd hope to have children. We'd hoped that our children would still be walking with the Lord. We were hoping for a better semester, a better school year. We were hoping for a last-minute rescue. Whatever it is, whatever it is, the good news of this passage and the gospel is that our stories are not over. This story is not over, and our stories are not over because Christ has conquered death, as it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, the promises of God, all the promises of God, find their yes in him, and that is why through him we can utter our amen to God for the glory. This isn't just academic. 
This isn't just we can prove that the, re- that the resurrection happened and that the Bible is, is the trustworthy word of God. This matters. This matters for our day-to-day life. I was privileged to be here yesterday remembering our, our dear, dear sister Tracy. And it was so encouraging to hear that on the one hand, at the end of her life, she was struggling with that confidence. But at the same time, she could say, Jesus is enough. I think she said something like, Jesus eats death for breakfast. (laughs) And Jesus has just had breakfast. This isn't just academic. It changes everything, and we have to share this. And this is where the story gets great. Because they sit down at this meal. They invite him in. He pretends to go further. What if he had just kept going? You ever think about that? I think they would have said more than just, well, there's a guy who knows his Moses and the prophets. I think they also would have been struck by his faith. I think they would have been struck by that guy. I don't know, but he he seems to believe all this stuff. So we have to have the resurrection appearance. And granted, this is a weird one, yeah? It uses this one Greek word, no other place, it's vanished. Boom, just gone. He he appears for a second, and then he, you know, just, I don't know if he winked. I don't know, what did he do? What did he do? But they recognized it. It was something about the way he broke that bread. Put yourself there. You've been hearing for maybe two and a half hours about how, wow, he, he, okay, okay. And then it happens. See, without the resurrection appearance, none of that matters. And the way, their reaction here, I think, shows the veracity of this and why we can take hope in it. The first thing they do, what is it? They get up, pack up their gear, and they head straight back to Jerusalem. By implication, they arrive back evening, still on the third day. And when they arrive, look at, we see why they went back. Why did they go back? To find the other disciples and to share the good news and to rejoice at what they had seen. And then it's chaos again because they're all talking past each other when we get into that. But this wouldn't have happened if there had just been one disciple on that road to Emmaus or if only one of them had recognized Jesus. I think their behavior confirms the truth of this. So you know, think about this. If you just walked seven miles to your intended destination and you were just depressed because, you know, game over, our rabbi is dead, they put him to death, and all these weird theories going around. I don't care how good your Bible study was on the way there, if there had been any doubts that the man you just saw was actually Jesus, or that any doubt that that was a supernatural disappearance, do you think they would have bothered to return right away? Or would they have said, you know, what, did you... Uh, no. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, it's been a long day. <laughs> Road fatigue. Maybe, maybe we should just sleep on it. <laughs> okay, maybe just clear our heads, get some sleep. No. Instead, they join in 
to proclaim. They go back another seven miles, two and a half hours, because this is important. This changes everything. Dear friends, I confess, I do not always see the good news of the gospel as so important that I need to drop everything and go back and do that extra thing. Let's encourage each other in this, right? We're here to make disciples, and that's what they were ready to do. As soon as they had what they knew was the encounter with the risen Savior, they booked it back to Jerusalem. So let's rejoice together. This is good news of great joy for all people, and it's accessible even to us 2,000 years later because the faithful witness has been passed on. I think one way (laughs) that we can celebrate right now in this good news and proclaim it to one another is through the Lord's Supper. I love that we have the Lord's Supper here ready this morning. It's so appropriate. Because in these elements, we are proclaiming with one another what Jesus said on that Emmaus road. When I take the bread and I take the cup, I am saying, yes, it was necessary that the Christ suffer these things before entering his glory. He is God's answer to my deepest need. He is God's answer to your deepest need. And we can share that together and rejoice in that together. We proclaim our faith in the Lord's death on our behalf and, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, we proclaim it until he comes. And it's because of the resurrection that we can add that until he comes. That's the joy that we feel, that we can know 